I think of them not as victims. I think of them as heroes, heroines. Because during the 1940s, it was World War II, and the men were basically all away. And the women took over everything. They took over the jobs. They took over the country and jobs. And then they found their independence for the first time in movies. Because in the 30s, uh, the, the movies always came out that the woman succumbed at the end. That's right. 1940s brought these noir movies where the women were heroines or murderers. <laughs> I mean, they had their own thing finally. Sylvia and me. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. I'm Anne Chernow. I'm an artist. I do paintings, prints, and drawings. Uh, I'm also a mother and a grandmother, which is the joys of my life. And my uh, focus in the last few years has been to work uh, with images from film noir, the um, amazing 1940s and early 50s genre in American movies. And I am so happy to have you here with me today. Thank you. This is great. And you're, you're, you have lived in Westport for, for such a long time. And Westport has always been known or used to be known as an artist's haven. Yes. And you once said to me, you're one of, a th of thousands of artists. You're not one. You might, there might be thousands of artists, but what you do is, is so special and unique. So you mentioned the movies, the 40s, the 50s. Your focus, you're even called the queen of noir. Well, people have called me that, and then ads in noir magazines have called me that, but... Um, <laughs> It's fun. There's a king of noir, the real king of noir in California, who runs movies on TCM every Saturday night, who I've met and who is really the king of noir in the world. His name is Eddie Muller, and we've met, and he's been influential in uh, my choosing all this to do. The majority of your work is focused not just on film noir, but on the female characters, as we yes. call them, the femme fatales. Yes. Why that specific character? What, what drew okay. you to that? Um, I'm afraid it's going to take a while to tell that. Uh, we got time. I mean, it's, it's got to be an interesting story. After, um, after I completed college, I started painting seriously. Um, I also was teaching. I've been teaching for 26 years, uh, teaching art. And during that time, I met and saw various movies about film noir. Nothing ever spoke to me to do what I'm doing now until I did a series in 1970s of images of the stars' faces, actual like portraits, of the film noir stars. And then I got tired of doing that. So I did imaginary faces of film noir stars. 
Then I started doing scenes from film noir movies. And then I got tired of doing that. So I started inventing scenes from film noir movies. And um, the first time I knew that I was onto something that I liked, I was in a cafe in New York one night alone in an Italian, Italian cafe, Italian restaurant with a bottle of wine and I wrote eight film noir stories about women. They, they were called bad girls. I eventually called them bad girls and um, wrote eight separate stories and did eight separate images. And <clears throat> I found that I really loved that. So I began doing much, much more of that. And for the last 10 years, I've been just doing a series of Femme fatale. Now, the reason for women, everybody has a guess. I mean, it's, it's psychological, it's this, it's that. No, it has to do with the women in the film noir movies all had fabulous clothing, and the men just had gray suits and hats. I never thought of that because I, I, I mean, that's a genre of film that I love, and I love looking at the clothes that the women characters the actresses are wearing it's fantastic well, and and except for westerns which i don't watch or draw or paint <clears throat> the men are just so uninteresting in the clothing that it's, it's not worth painting you know I mean, there's <laughs> nothing to paint just gray suits and hats so they are um the male figure is sometimes a an abstract support <clears throat> but the female figure like all the noir movies, had a, a star in the movie that was female. Uh, and I just loved it. So I've been mining that for 10 years now. And I do, them, I do them differently. I do them in paint. I do them in print. I do them drawing. The so, only thing I haven't done is sculpture. Okay, all right. There's, you know, there's time for that. Because um, the but, movies are flat. <laughs> yes, they are. So what, what aspect of the, I mean, the women in these film noir movies are either femme fatales or are they victims? And can you explain what a femme fatale is? Well, um, there are many definitions, but um, I think of them not as victims. I think of them as heroes, heroines, because during the 1940s, it was World War II, and the men were basically all away, and the women took over everything. They took over the jobs, they took over the country in jobs, and then they found their independence for the first time in movies because in the 30s, uh, the, the movies always came out that the woman succumbed at the end. That's right. 1940s brought these noir movies where the, woman, the women were heroines or, or um, murderers. <laughs> I mean, they had their own thing finally. That's very true. Um, and I guess I've never really put it as far as the difference in the time frame between the 30s and the 40s and what was going on in the world. 
So what are, um, as you're doing this, uh, one of the things that I learned that um, in, in doing research is that you are anti-gun, yet a lot of your work has a woman holding a gun. Does that not contradict what you uh, believe in, or is that just the genre? Well, it's just the genre. Um, and when I paint, my paintings are about women. They have guns in them. My paintings, I paint like I'm thinking abstractly. Everything has to work aesthetically. Everything, I see these as abstractions, but they're real people. But I, I learned the formality of painting when I was in school. So I don't see them without looking at them as objects or how they fit in the painting. And the gun is just, it's not even a symbol. It's just a form. Okay. And All right. The forms fit when I saw a few of these movies a long time ago where women were actually shooting guns. So it's part of the genre, but I see them in my paintings just as abstract forms, like if they were an apple. So um, I'd like to, what were some of the first ones that you did? I think I sent you some of the bad girl photos. Which okay. is really what started it. Would one of them be Vendetta? Yes. So what you have on Vendetta, um, she was the flashiest kind of tramp, tall and sleepy, looking with violet eyes and a provocative mouth. Deep dish apple pie in a satin dress that revealed everything in a liquid voice. She murmured, starlight, star bright, first star I've seen tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might kill myself a man tonight. Murder was her business. I'd like you to describe what you saw when you were doing this. Well, I saw the name first um, in researching books. It might've been a book, it might've been a movie itself. I don't remember, it was in the 80s that I did this. Um, and I, it just struck a chord that I wanted to do um, a woman who was beautiful and a killer uh, because she was abused. I mean, there's all sorts of psychological backgrounds to these. Um, mostly it has nothing to do with my life. I was brought up as a good girl in a normal family. I guess <laughs> I want to be a good girl. I guess I wanted to have something angst in my life. Um, and, and uh, that's not why I turned to this. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's all about aesthetics. It's what I wanted to paint. It's, some people want to paint landscapes. Some people want to paint fruit. Some people want to paint portraits. I wanted to paint women in movies. And that's what I've done. And the thing is, as you said, it's abstract. Um, you don't take a specific actress you don't take a specific character per se. It's all what you see and what you've, you've kind of made up. It's abstract. It's, it's wonderful because of the fact that you're not doing, as you said, you're not taking a Betty Davis or a Joan Crawford and just replicating them. 
but the women that you have really are images and portray the women who were in those films. Yeah, from the 40s. I mean, there is a, um, there are maybe over 100, 200 books written about these films at that period, written about women in the films. One I just found, it's called um, A Woman and a Gun. I mean, people write about this, not just women, but men and who write books about film noir focus in on certain things about film noir in all these books. So I read all these books voraciously. Um, Maybe I should tell you that one of the reasons I've turned to film is that when I was 11 and we were living down the street from an RKO Keith's movie palace, it was red and velvet and gold and the bathrooms were unbelievable and the air conditioning was something that we didn't have when I was growing up. So I used to go with my friends to Archeo Keys every weekend um, and we would sit for hours and watch movies, double features, etc. And it was there when I was 11 and 12 and 13 until I went to college that I would just love watching these women's films. Um, I know other people who did not get information about life from their families or from teachers who found it in the movies. I mean, I, you know, we all, my friends and I learned so much. We learned how to act, how to become women, whatever kind we wanted. Um, so along with our regular lives, we had the movies to teach us. That's fantastic. How fascinating, because it's true. Um, I'm a big movie buff. And, uh, you know, one of the movies that I know that you said is one of your favorites is mine, Laura with Gene Tierney. And you actually did a series on that one. So that's a scene from the movie, Laura. And, uh, she was walking through the bedroom, the living room, to some room where she's staring out the window above her head. It's a profile of a man. It's okay. his, he's in a hat, and it's his face. And as you've said before, these women, you didn't consider her a victim. Yet, no. why don't you consider her a victim? Because she wins in the end. Okay. And she wasn't out as some of the other women. She wasn't out to be violent. No, but some of the women are, and some of the women aren't, and some of the women get hurt and abused, and some of the women hurt people and abuse them. I mean, that's not the point of the work that I do. The point is the images that I love. And they're wonderful images because each one really is a, a woman. Um, it's abstract, but it's almost real. Well, some people have said when they see um, people who are not familiar with the movies come in and see my work in the studio and they would suddenly say, oh, my God, you've painted a woman who looks just like my grandmother because what I've tried to do is to not do portraits 
but find a face that's a universal face of a woman of a certain age or a certain type and use a contemporary model and then change everything. I, I, I recreate things. I don't use things as they are. Um, and so some people have said, you know, you painted my aunt, you painted my grandmother. <laughs> no. But that's the beauty of it. Yeah, it's supposed to be universal. Every uh, story that I'm telling is a story that could happen to any of us. We go to lunch, you know, it might not happen to any of us that we shoot someone, but <laughs> that is one of the things in that period of life that happens. Okay. So is there more um, that you're working on um, as far as this genre? Is, is this now the genre that you are going to continue in? Because it's endless. I've been mining it. I use that word because of taking things out of things. I mine it. Okay. Um, I've been mining things for 10, 15 years. And if I lived to be 300, I'd never get to use all the images I want. So I'm sticking with it. But one of the things I started painting, and that's how um, Mary Himes found me for Women and Guns, is a series that goes back to pulp fiction. Ah. And the reason that I turned to it suddenly is because I simply got very tired painting in black and white. And these Pulp Fiction women who are um, incredibly from the late 30s into the 40s um, had such a vibrancy um, that I just, I just had to get out of the black and white. And so wow. I've been doing color paintings, which I'm gonna continue but at the same time, I'm doing portfolios in black and white of lithographs and drawings. Okay. And I believe you, we have one of these here, which is 1940s DeSoto. Precious is, cargo. Precious. Um, the car. And I painted this when I saw this scene in a movie. It wasn't quite like that. Of course, I've changed everything. But I remembered that my father drove a 1940s DeSoto blue-green car. So I decided to paint his car. <laughs> and that's why it's titled the way it is. Uh, I spent many hours, he was a traveling salesman, and we spent many hours in that car. So I've always remembered it. But um, you have to write your own story. There's no reason I can tell you why that woman shot the man in the car. Okay. No you make it up yourself. And that's the thing. You're a storyteller. Well, I think so. And I also write. I write short stories and I've published a couple. And um, you, you started, you when we began the conversation, you talked about how you wrote. Yes, the bad girls. Yes. Yeah. So did you take that after you wrote that? Did you start doing some abstract painting based on what you wrote, based on the bad girls? No, they're separate. They're okay. separate. But they all, all right. have to do with some aspect of art. Um, and you're, you know, you're going strong. 
you're in your 80s, you have no desire and, and no reason to stop. So um, in, in the life that you've led and are leading in, in Westport, you've been surrounded by many um, artists in a, a variety of different venues. In fact, your late husband, Bert Chernow, he was an art historian and a professor at the Housatonic Community College and he founded the Housatonic Museum of Art. And I know that you and Bert did a lot of things together. Right, and amazingly enough, unfortunately, Bert died quite early in 1997. And uh, after a period of time, I met a guy that was a, a famous movie star. And here I was painting yep. movies. And then we got together uh, for 23 years. He just passed this year from COVID. Martin West. Yes. And um, his movies are just fantastic men fatals. <laughs> <laughs> and also you were very good friends with um, the couple who did The Gates. Oh, yes. Bert and Martin and I, Martin after Bert died, we traveled with the Christos all in all their projects from 1970 on. We would take time out from teaching and from making art to go with them. They were the most fabulous times I've had in my whole life, traveling all over the world, helping to build these projects. I, 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 I should write a book about it, but Bert already wrote the biography of Christo. Uh, it, it had nothing to do with my work, nothing. Um, but I stopped everything to do it because it was so incredibly interesting and fun. They were all big, big parties. Fun is a good thing. Yeah. And in Germany, when he wrapped the Reichstag, uh, Bert and I were assigned a bedroom. We were there for three or four weeks in Berlin. And our bedroom was Hermann Goering's former bedroom across oh, from the my. <laughs> well, I know that uh, 2020 was a very hard year for you. Um, uh, your, your partner, uh, Martin, passed away in 2020. We had the lockdown. We had the pandemic. We, I know you were without power for quite some time during one of the hurricanes. Um, but this is 2021. What do you, what do you have planned for 2021? Well, the first thing already happened because I hadn't seen any of my family who live all across the country. Uh, nobody stayed in Westport to my dismay. Uh, my oldest grandchild is now here with me for nine days and I haven't seen her for over a year. So the family is the thing that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm also working, creating more film noir. Um, if I live to be 300, I could never get all the images out. Well, there's, there's, there's so much. I mean, they contain so much. What advice could you give to young artists these days? Don't expect anything to happen. Just love your work and be prepared to take a day job if you have to. <laughs> Or marry a rich man. 
I mean, well, uh, you know, I, I taught and some, I taught students who wanted to be artists. I would try and tell them they should choose anything else in the world except being an actor. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to tell them how hard it was to get anywhere. And those that went at it and stuck with it and became waiters and whatever they did, I'm in touch with at least 10 of my former students, all of whom stuck with it and made it in the art world. It takes a great deal of um, patience, takes a great deal of desire. It takes a great deal of sacrifice. I'm just glad none of my children are artists. Well, it also has to take a great deal of backbone because when, you, when you're doing something creative and, and you really love it, if somebody else doesn't love it, it's, you know, you go on to the next one, you keep doing what you love. Well, that's one of the interesting things that happened. Um, I watched fellow artists or some of my friends in college who went on for decades to paint. And every time there was a new style in the art world that became famous, like um, abstract expressionism in the late 60s or minimalism or whatever art became important in the marketplace, they would change their style to fit that because they thought that they could make it doing that. I have never, never deviated from painting the figure. I have a picture of me that my dad took at Christmas in 1937 when I was three. No, when I was 1939, it was, and I was three and a half. Of me drawing on a kid's easel in a kid's style, female figures. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, I didn't send you the picture. I should have. But I realized that um, I never wanted to play with dolls. I never wanted games. I just wanted art work and pencils and paints. And that picture shows a whole bunch of art supplies at the bottom of that child's easel. And yes, it's child's work, but it started there. That's when you found your passion. And that's, that is a message that you're telling so many people to be true to your passion. Yes. And not to trends that are out there. Right. And, and um, so I am not changing. I'm just painting and um, hoping that I do live a long number of years to continue. There's um, one story that I heard that I'd love for you to tell before we end, and that is, um, I know you don't do, you know, everything is abstract, uh, but you did have a visit from one Betty Davis. Yes, I did. And it was the reason that I, I just wanted to meet a real movie star. And I had a friend named Robin, I don't remember her last name, who was Betty Davis's roommate in college. And she saw what I was doing, and she said, would you like to meet Betty? <laughs> I said, oh, yes. <laughs> so she arranged it, and one day, long after this happened, Betty Davis's secretary called me, and she said, 
uh, I said, you know, can I have an appointment with Miss Davis? And she said, yes, but you have to follow some rules. And she said, when she comes, you don't call her Betty. You say Miss Davis. And you don't ever talk about Joan Crawford. You know why. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. So I watched her get out of her car. She was really Betty Davis. She was smoking. She was swinging her hips. And she came to the door, and it was when Bert was alive. And I was so nervous that he went to the door. I was standing behind him, and he opened the door. And she came in, and he said, hello, Betty. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, precious. And then in the course of the afternoon, we had lunch. We had a lovely afternoon. She went down to my studio. It was in the, the basement. We built a big basement studio because we had too many kids to use any of the rooms. Um, she came down with me, and she saw a drawing or a print and she said, that looks just like my daughter, Beatty. I'm going to buy that for her. So, of course, I gave it to her. And we came upstairs. And as we're going up the stairs, she looks back at the paintings. And she said, in this tone, and who's that? And it was Joan Crawford. Because <laughs> at that time, I was doing the star's pictures. <laughs> so I quickly said, Oh, that's just a person I'm painting, you know, and took her upstairs. But then she started talking about Joan Crawford herself. And she talked about their problems. And she said, I pray that my daughter BD does not write a tell-all book about me like Joan's daughter did. And sure enough, the next year she did. You never know what's going to happen. No, no. But um, there's another figure up here who I've drawn and painted, but not as her, just as a figure. And that's Jane Powell, who lives in Wilton. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I did a series of uh, prints about Busby Berkeley movies from the 1940s. And I wanted a person who had been in a Busby Berkeley movie to write a message in the portfolio. And I found out that there were three people in the vicinity who had been in his movies, Van Johnson, who lived too far away, and I would never get him to do it, Ann Miller, who I think was in Hollywood, and Jane Powell, who... I found out from friends lived in, in here in Connecticut. So I went to a party of people who were in show business in Westport. And there was a woman who I knew was a friend of Jane Powell. And I went and asked her, I'm not going to tell you her name. <clears throat> okay. Can you give me Jane Powell's address? And she was getting drunk at the party drunk and drunker and drunker. And she said, I can't do that. I'm not allowed to give out people's addresses. So I waited and waited. And an hour and so later, she was totally sloshed. And I went over to her and I said, hello, I'm doing a, a portfolio of prints and I need to talk to Jane Powell. Can you give me her address? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so I wrote to Jane a letter and I said, don't think I'm crazy, but here's my resume. And you see, I'm a serious artist. And I told her about the portfolio of Busby Berkeley. And I said, you were in one of his movies or two, and I'd love it if you would write a message in the top of the portfolio, which will go with the portfolio. And for that, I will give you a copy of the portfolio. And so she came over for lunch and we became good friends. Wow. Well, you've certainly had a great life and you're continuing to have a fantastic life. Um, I can't wait to see more of your work um, and keep at it. And thank you so much. Um, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. On our next podcast, I'll be talking to another extraordinary, inspiring woman who has made her mark on the world. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and, of course, our website, sylviaandme.com. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to keep up with the latest episodes. Review, rate, and take us with you wherever you are. I want to hear from you. If you know of an extraordinary, inspiring woman, please contact me at sylvia at lifeofprey.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay safe. Today's podcast is sponsored by Upper Deck, the national full-service virtual gym that has reinvented the at-home workout experience. Upper Deck has more than 30 strength and cardio classes a week. Named Best Fitness Club in the Gold Coast for 2020, Upper Deck brings the gym to you with live coaching and motivation. Upper Deck's unique classes are interactive. They have two coaches, one leading your workout and one keeping her eyes on you, providing feedback and encouragement in real time. For a free week of unlimited virtual classes with no strings attached, email info at UpperDeckFitness.com and let Upper Deck know you're a Sylvia and me listener. This has been a Life of Prey production.